So we are uh, kicking off a brand new series today entitled Before You Speak. And this is a, a series we based very loosely off of a book by Dr. Egridge called uh, Before You Hit Send. And in it, we're just, we're taking time over the next three weeks to look at three simple, but three powerful principles when it comes to how we communicate. Because especially with the advent of the digital age, our ability and the, the, to communicate is just forever increasing. The, the, the ways that we communicate are forever growing. For example, every 24 hours, about 205 billion emails are sent. Every minute, about 243,000 pictures go up on Facebook. Every second, 60,000 tweets just went out. Now, this doesn't even take into account Snapchat and Pinterest and TikTok and whatever new form of social media is all the rage with young people that I don't know how to use and don't even care about, right? We communicate a lot. And then on top of all that, you, you've got phone calls that you make, you've got text messages that you send, and then the rare and odd actual face-to-face -face conversation you have with another live human being. Just We are forever communicating more and more in our world, which is kind of scary when you consider how easy it is for communication to go sideways. I recently read about an announcement that a pastor made at the end of service where he said, hey, Make sure you join us at church next weekend to listen to our new organist play and find out what hell is really like. <laughs> now, you meant to make two announcements. We got new organists to play. I know some of you are just catching on. That's right. You, come on, you're going to get there, you know. Remedial. All right, so uh, you meant two announcements. You know, we got new organists who's playing next week at church, and I'm preaching on hell. But it, lips got ahead of his, you know, his brain and it all came out as one thing, you know. Show up at church and this person plays, it's going to feel like your ears died and went to the abyss, you know. Now this is fun. But when communication goes sideways, sometimes there's nothing funny about it. Like a few years back, everybody remember, everybody remember Justine Seiko? Justine was in charge of communications for a media conglomerate. She got on a plane to go to Africa, and before she did, she tweeted out the following. She said, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Yeah, not okay. Now, Justine says she thought she was being over-the-top ironic, over-the-top sarcastic, and in doing so, pointing out that anybody can pick up HIV regardless of their race tweeted that out, turned her phone off, got on a plane. When she landed and turned her phone back on, she got a firestorm of criticism that eventually cost her her job and made her the, the, the subject of just all kinds of hostility. See, the words we communicate, in whatever form they come, whether we speak them, whether we post them, whether we send them, they're powerful. Our words are powerful. And the ancients, they understood this. It's what, it's what inspired Solomon to write, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
See, Solomon's trying to get us to realize, again, whatever form our communication comes, that it has power in our lives, in our relationships, in the communities that we're a part of, for our, our reputations, for the reputations of others. The, the things that we communicate, they have the power to either destroy or to bring healing. And so over the course of the next three weeks, we're, we're going to take some time, and again, we're going to think through three simple principles that are meant to help us as we communicate. Because while opportunities to communicate are forever on the rise, our thoughtfulness about how we communicate oftentimes fails to keep pace. Now, what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at three principles that come to us in the form of three questions that are oftentimes accredited to uh, another ancient named Socrates. And the questions are, are three questions that he would encourage people to think about before they communicate. And the questions are very simple. Is it, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Three simple questions. But they, they can be so powerful when it comes to how we communicate. Now, whether or not Socrates is really the person who came up with these three questions first, we don't know. And whether or not the person whether it's Socrates or somebody else. Uh, somebody corrected me after church. They were like, it's Socrates. Um, all you Bill and Ted people, never mind. So, um, but, but, but whether he said it or somebody else said it, we don't know if they had biblical wisdom in mind when they posed these three questions. What we do know is that these three questions reflect biblical wisdom, whether that was the intent of the original author or not. And so each week, we're going to take one of these questions. We're going to go, hey, what does the Bible have to say in response to this concept? And how can it impact our communication so that the things that we say in post and send, they bless people rather than curse them? So this is week one. So which question are we going to start with? Number one. It's not a trick question, all right? So we're just going to start with, is it true? All right, and to help us think through this from a biblical perspective, we're going to turn to the history of the early church. We're going to pick up in, in Acts chapter 5, right at the beginning of the chapter, and, and learn from the life of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. So if you've you got a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. You can pull it up on your device. We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 1. But before we jump into the, to the text, um, Ananias and Sapphira's story, it begins as the church is brand new. Like you have this baby church, this baby organization whose culture and identity are still being formed, which can be very important. We're going to see a little bit later on in our conversation. But, but the culture and identity of that community is still being shaped and formed, which is so important because how a culture's identity, the, 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 the markers of, of that community, how the culture and identity get formed for a new community can oftentimes determine the direction that that, that community is going to move in and whether or not it'll even survive. Now, as, as the church is being formed, initially, you have some cultural markers like care and generosity and self-sacrifice and authenticity shaping the identity and the culture. And the way that happened with the early church was you had this, this community where some people are incredibly well-resourced, and then some people are right on the edge of poverty. You had all kinds of economic diversity in the early church. And so 
what would happen was you'd have people who had more than enough voluntarily, government's not making them do this, voluntarily they would sell off some of those excess resources. They'd give the proceeds to the church and then the church would use them to make sure that folks who were, were really struggling financially had what they needed to eat and live indoors. Th this is what's taking place when, when we pick up with Ananias and Sapphira. So picking up an ax, their story. We read, there was a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira and they sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So, so Ananias and Sapphira, they're among the really well-resourced group. They've got property. I, I, I don't know where. Let's say they've got, you know, like waterfront property on the Dead Sea, right? And they decide, you know what? We got people who don't have enough. We've got more than enough. We're going to sell this property. We don't know what they got for it, but let's just say for the sake of conversation, they got 250 grand for the property they sold. Now, what Ananias does, and he and his wife are in on this, he takes 100 grand, puts it in the bank, saves it for a rainy day. And then he takes 150 grand, and he shows up at church on Sunday with a check for 150 grand that he's going to give to help people who are under-resourced. Now, on the surface, you go, well, what's wrong with that? That's, that sounds like a really good thing. And listen, if you show up at church next weekend <laughs> with a $150,000 check for, you know, like the Compassion Fund, we are going to celebrate that together, okay? Here, here, on the surface, it looks good. The, the problem is with, with what's happening underneath the surface. See, Ananias... We're going to see this in just a minute. He is showing up with this check and in a very public way for everybody to see. He's given this check and, and communicating to everybody, I am putting down the full amount of what I got for that property and giving it to help people in need. So, somehow, I don't know how. Don't ask me afterwards. I don't know how now. I won't know how after church. Peter knows, like he knows what Ananias has just pulled. And so Peter confronts him. Peter says to him, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think to do such a thing? You haven't lied just to human beings, but to God. For whatever reason, Ananias decides he's going to hold back the truth. He's going to be deceitful. Peter's like, you flat out lied. Now, the, the there are a number of ways, a number of ways we can miss the mark in communicating, and there's a number of reasons for why we might miss the mark when we communicate. Why we might withhold, bend, break the truth. Like, if you have young children, they will make you lie sometimes, amen? Yeah. Like, Mom, Dad, what were you guys doing in your bedroom with the door closed? Um, taking a nap? I tried the door, why was it locked? I mean, we believe in tight security in this house, right? We will withhold or deceive people in the name of protecting them. Or sometimes we will get the truth wrong, and it's about pride and envy. 
Like you see somebody and they're scrolling through their fake book feed and, and they see how wonderful their, their, their friends' lives look through these amazing pictures and they start to feel bad about themselves. And so before they get on there and they post their own fake book pictures, they, they, they're super selective about what they're going to post. They run all kinds of filters over the pictures. Some people even post pictures that aren't even theirs because they don't feel good about their lives when they see somebody else's life. Or sometimes we're just delusional. Like, there's this scene in, in John's biography of Jesus' life where Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders about the validity of his teaching. And at one point, he says to them, Jesus says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I love their response to Jesus. It's so ironic to me. They say, we are Abraham's descendants. We are Abraham's descendants and, and, and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? Never been slaves to anyone. Like the history of the Jewish people as a nation begins with 400 years of enslavement. And, and when, when they finally get to the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert, it's one nation after another nation after another nation after another nation coming and taking them over and pinning them under their thumbs. And the very people who are saying these words to Jesus now have the Romans sitting on their chests and making their lives miserable, and yet they can say, we've never been slaves to anybody. How can you say that? If you tell yourself the same lie over and over and over again long enough, you'll believe that junk yourself. Or sometimes we, we, we don't do well with the truth. We miss the mark because we've been inattentive and careless. Like you, you don't have to be lying. You don't have to intentionally be deceiving someone in order for what you say to not be true. Like I, I read about these two young ladies were in a, just a wicked car accident. Two friends looked a lot alike, spent all kinds of time together. They, they got in this car accident, and after the accident, it was so bad that the girls initially were not recognizable. One of them died, and one of them was in a coma. The hospital, when they reported to the families the condition of their daughters, initially got it backwards. So you have this one family who thinks their daughter is dead and buried her, had a funeral, you have another family who thinks their daughter survived and they're just waiting for her to come out of a coma. Hospital wasn't intentionally deceiving anybody, but it wasn't true. There are all kinds of reasons we get this wrong. I think of the one that we, we're most likely to miss the truth for is fear. We're just afraid. We'll lie to our spouse about what we've done for fear that they'll divorce us. We'll lie about our credentials on a resume for fear that we wouldn't get the job otherwise. We'll lie about how much something costs because we're afraid of what people would think if they knew how much we spent. We'll lie about how they look in those jeans for fear of what they'd do to us if we told them the truth. We're afraid. The consequences, the, 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 the complications, the, the cost of the truth. And so we'll bend it. We'll break it. If somebody was to say, hey, is this the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? The honest answer is nope. 
Now, Ananias and Sapphira, I, I don't know why exactly they decided to be deceitful. But they were, and, and doing so was not without consequences for them. Peter confronts them, calls, calls Ananias out. Sapphira isn't there yet. Calls him out. And when he does, when Ananias hears what Peter had to say, we're told that he fell down and died. That great fear seized everybody who heard what happened and that some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Now, if that is enough to freak you out a little bit, make you think about, you know, whether or not you can be dishonest here at church in the future, the plot thickens, right? About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened to her husband. So Peter asked her, he says, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. So she doubles down on deception. Peter says to her, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit? Listen, the feet of those who bury your husband have come for you. And she drops. And then the way this thing ends, is it's kind of ironic to me. He says, again, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I'm like, you think? Now, the moral to the story here is really very simple. And I'm going to go slow so you don't miss it and you can write it down. Here it is. If you lie to your pastor, God's going to strike you dead. <laughs> now, that's not the moral. And, and, and here's how we know that's not the moral. How many of us over the course of our lives have ever lied to a pastor? Mike and Rebecca, I better see those hands. That's right. <laughs> you didn't drop dead, right? Or how many of us, when I asked that question, you were afraid about what the person next to you would think if you raised your hand and so you didn't? You were just deceitful right here at church. You didn't drop dead. See, here, here's the deal with Ananias and Sapphira. They, they made their decisions. They did what, what they did. And without even realizing it, the, the consequences of what they chose to do were so much further re reaching than they realized. Remember, again, this is a brand new baby church. The, the life of this community is being formed. Their culture, their identity are being formed. And, and initially, the culture and identity are, are, are being formed around things like care and generosity and self-sacrifice and authenticity. These are the kind of things you want your church to be known for. Now, Without even realizing it, Ananias and Sapphira, in their decisions, in their behaviors, they are doing things that have the potential to change the cultural markers and the identity of that church from things like these to instead things like indifference and greed and selfishness and people being disingenuous. You don't want your church to be known for this stuff. And here's the deal. As an organization, as a community is being formed for the first time, as their culture and identity are being shaped for the first time, if these are the cultural markers of that community, chances are that community is dead in the water. They're not going to make it very far. Without even realizing it, Ananias and Sapphira, their decision is so much more about money or looking more spiritual or more generous than they really are. 
What they are doing had the potential to destroy the early church, to, to put that young community to death before it ever got birthed. And if that had happened, it would have robbed countless generations to come of the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God, to grow, to become more like Jesus, and learn to serve him in mission in their church and in their world. What they were doing was so much bigger than they realized. Now, for us, what we want to understand here is whenever somebody, be it you, me, Ananias, Sapphira, whenever somebody misses the mark when it comes to the truth, it comes with consequences. But probably nowhere near as, as drastic for us as it was for Ananias and Sapphira. But it comes with consequences. For example, when I, when I miss the mark when it comes to the truth, th there's, there's a weight of anxiety that I get to carry because of that. Every time I, I tell a, a lie about a topic, every time that topic comes up with those people that I wasn't on, was, I'm, I'm like, okay, is, did, did they figure it out? Is this, is this where they're going to call me? Am I busted now? There's this weight of anxiety that comes with that. And it's, here's the thing. If you've ever lived with anxiety, you know, you know, like, <laughs> this, this isn't a good thing to live with. Why in the world would you carry that around if you don't have to? But, but when we don't do truth well, this, this is part of the consequence. Or when we don't do truth well, it's just a lot of work. If you're truly lazy, you shouldn't lie. Like, if I, tell, if I tell you a lie, I got to remember that I told you that lie, and I got to remember what that lie was. And then if I have to tell some more lies to cover up my first lie, I got to remember who I told my more lies to and what those lies were. And oftentimes, those lies create a need for more lies to cover up the first set of cover-ups. It's just a ton of work keeping track of all that stuff. If, if, I'm, if I'm truly a lazy person, I'm intent on this. It's way less work to remember the truth than it is to remember the truth plus the lies. It's what inspired Mark Twain to once write. If, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Or if I, if I bend or if I withhold or I break the truth, it just costs me my credibility and my integrity. Integrity is I am on the inside who I appear to be on the outside. Integrity is, I'm going to treat you the way I hope you would treat me. In fact, who, who remembers the golden rule according to Jesus? Shaking your head yes, spit it out there, Fred. Yeah, do unto others as you had them do unto you, right? Who wants people to be honest with them? Who gets upset when somebody lies to you? Who is never tempted to be dishonest themselves? Right? Like, several years back, I bought my very first carbon fiber triathlon bike. Saved up for a long time, bought it, used off a of Craigslist, tried to get a deal. And after I got the bike, I discovered there were issues with the bike that could be maintained, but that could not be fixed. Issues that the previous owner would have known about, and they did not share with me. Now, I, I, I was mad. Like, I wanted to find that guy and lay hands on him without the benefit of prayer. Just, I was just hot. Now, just a year ago, 
I bought a, a, a new triathlon bike, like brand new, first time I bought a new bike. Bought a new triathlon bike, new triathlon bike, bought a, a, a 10 speed once, but it was junk. Um, so bought a brand new, like high quality triathlon bike and to offset some of the cost of the new bike, I sold my old bike. The minute I got online to post that bike, I found myself confronted with a decision. I could, I could dial it up and I could sell that bike and the person I'm selling it to would not know it had the issues that it had until they'd ridden it about seven or eight times. It's a funny thing. Because if, like, or I can disclose what's going on. But if I disclose what's going on, I don't get as much for the bike. I might not be able to sell it at all. Again, funny thing. When I was the buyer, I wanted the truth. And when I figured out the seller had deceived me, I was unhappy about that. But now that I was the seller, I found myself tempted to do what the previous seller had done to me. I had to decide, how much money is my integrity really worth? And, and if I had been dishonest about it and that person had found out about it or anybody else had found out about it, it, just, it my credibility becomes shot. There are all kinds of consequences that come with, with, not, with missing the mark. And again, like, there can be consequences even if we're not lying. Even if we're not being intentionally deceitful, but we don't get the information correct, people's reputations, people emotion, their emotions get tied, all tied up in knots. We saw this last year. You know, we were about a, just a little better than a year into the pandemic. Congratulations, right? Last year, we had all these restrictions come down on Michigan. And, and a little later in the spring, early summer, the, the, you know, the, things began to lift. Lockdown began to be dialed back. And there, there was this claim, it went up on Facebook, it was posted. You may have seen the post. That Governor Whitmer opened up some areas up north where she personally had property. And she did so so her daughter could have a full-on graduation party while the rest of us schleps down here on south couldn't do anything. Now, you may like, you may dislike how, how Whitmer managed things with COVID. You may think she's a hero. You may think she's the devil. I've heard all the praise. I've heard all the, the, the nasty names. Bottom line, the post was wrong. It just wasn't true. She, she received all kinds of unfair criticism in that post for something that didn't happen. And then I watched a number of people emotionally melt down over that post. And it just wasn't accurate. There, there, consequences will come to us, to those we are in relationship, to our lives, to the communities that we are part of when we miss the mark. The Bible tells us the God we serve is not a human that he should lie. In fact, it tells us that it is impossible for God to lie. And as his children, we are called to imitate daddy to put off falsehood, to speak truthfully to your neighbor. So, quickly as we wrap things up today, we go, okay, hey, here are all the reasons why we could miss the truth. Here's what it costs us when we do. What's it, what's it look like for us to do this well? What are some things we can do to make sure we do truth well so that the way we communicate, it brings life and healing rather than destruction? Two very simple ideas. First one's this. If we're going to communicate well, we're going to work to be careful. 
Again, I, I don't have to be intentionally deceptive. I don't have to lie to you to miss the truth. And so if I'm going to do truth well before I say something about someone, before I say something about something, if I'm going to do truth well, I don't have the luxury of being lazy or sloppy about it. I need to do my homework. I need to do my fact-checking. I need to make sure before I say that thing that the thing is correct, and if I don't know if it's right or not, then I just shouldn't say it. Before I, before I use the World Wide Web to trumpet an idea, before I post something or share something, I need to do my homework, make sure this thing is correct. If I'm going to do truth well, very simply, I'm going to work to be careful. If I'm going to do truth well, again, very simply, I'm going to work to be courageous. Again, I, I would argue the number one reason that we miss the truth is fear. We're afraid of what telling the truth will cost us. And here's the deal. Truth can be costly. Truth, the truth can cost you your image in the eyes of the people. Truth can cost you money. The truth can cost you the ability to get ahead as quickly as you would like. The, the truth can cost you a relationship with another person for a time or all together. The truth and what it can cost us, we're oftentimes afraid to pay the price. The truth requires courage. And that kind of courage, it's, it's in part born out of deciding who we are going to be and then living into that reality regardless. The truth is costly, but the truth, while it requires courage, it is in part born out of deciding in advance, this is the kind of person I'm going to be regardless. Elon Foster shares a story about a young man from the 1800s. Young man from Africa who was kidnapped by his own countrymen, sold to traders, shipped across an ocean, and put up on an auction block to be sold like an animal. Just before the young man is going to be bid on, one of his potential buyers approaches him and he asks him, if I buy you, will you be honest? If I buy you, will you be honest? To which the young man said to him, I'll be honest whether you buy me or not. See, this young man decided in advance who he was going to be. Decided in advance he was going to be a man of integrity. Decided in advance that he had been made in the image of a God who would not lie and he was going to reflect that image regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost-benefit analysis. It could rob him of his freedom. It could deny him his dignity. But they could not take from him his integrity. Getting the truth right, it requires courage. But courage is born out of deciding who are we going to be and then being those people regardless. Our words, in, in whatever form they come, they have power. The words of those of us who let ourselves be reckless, they can pierce like a sword. But the tongue of those who are seeking to be wise 
we can bring healing. The, the, the first way we make sure that our words are going to bless people rather than curse them is we make sure we're doing truth right. But here's the deal, and this is so important. The truth alone is not enough. Chances are we've all seen this. Chances are many of us have experienced this. So somebody lined up their truth cannon and just, just blasted somebody. And they're like, well, it's okay because it was true. And it destroyed that person. The truth is a wonderful place to start. But we weren't meant to stop there. We ask, is it true then there are two more questions we need to ask. We need to answer well if our words are going to bring healing rather than destruction. And the next question we need to ask is, is it necessary? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about next weekend. Would you stand with me, please, church? Father, just as we think about these things today, as we stand before you in the quietness of our hearts. Jesus, help us, please. In this moment and in the days and the week to come, help us just to be introspective, open to you, putting your finger on our hearts, and just speaking to us about how we do with, is it true? All kinds of reasons that we might miss the mark. And there's always a price to pay when we do. Help us to see that. Help us to be the kind of people We'll be careful. We'll be courageous. When it's asked, is this the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, can say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.